Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Today, God speaks to us from Genesis chapter 27, verses 19 and 22 through 41. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you've told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked, I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob thought, brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here my son and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you, and have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
For those of you that have been uh, with us, we have been uh, in the middle of a series, a series that we will continue on, looking at the narrative uh, of the book of Genesis, uh, which we have said over and over again uh, throughout the series, is that this is our origin story. If you're a Christian, this is your backstory. And last week, we, uh, we began shifting our focus away from one of the main characters that we uh, had been looking at for several weeks, which was uh, Abraham and looking at the promises that God had made to him. And last week, we began, uh, again, shifting away from the promise to Abraham, that promise being that God was going to use Abraham and bless Abraham, uh, that his line would become a great nation. Uh, and what we've started doing is now looking at the generations that are following Abraham. Uh, and in particular, we began last week by looking at the beginning stages of Isaac's life, Isaac being Abraham's son. We looked at his marriage to Rebekah, and the fact that they had two sons that were born, Esau the oldest, Jacob the youngest. And today what we're going to do is we're going to fast forward through uh, much of their lives to now begin looking at the events at the end of Isaac's life, particularly the all-important blessing that is supposed to be imparted to his son. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear this morning, there is actually a lot that we can learn about our desire to receive a similar kind of blessing that Isaac gives to Jacob. This ancient story actually has a lot to say to us today. And so to do that, I want to take a look at this blessing. And I want to take a look at it this way. I want to take a look at uh, a conception of blessing, the deception of blessing, and the reception of blessing. Do you like that? <laughs> this week when I came up with that, I texted my wife because I was proud of myself. A conception, a deception, a reception. Here we go. First, a conception of blessing. Uh, first, we've got to consider what's happening in the narrative. All right, where are we thus far in the story? If you remember, Isaac and Rebekah had two sons, but only one of those two sons uh, would receive the blessing. That blessing being that uh, through Abraham would be this great line and there would be this great nation. It would be through a particular line of Abraham that this promise would be fulfilled, that they would have that great nation, that the world would be blessed as a result of that great nation. Now, we know now, in kind of hindsight, that that blessing that was going to bless the world would ultimately be the blessing of the Messiah, Jesus. Uh, but what we're seeing here in our story thus far, what we've seen in the story thus far, is even Abraham, much like Isaac, he had two potential sons that this, this blessing could go to and through whom uh, the blessing would, would go forth into future generations. Abraham had Ishmael and Isaac, Isaac, though, would receive the blessing, and now Isaac has his own two sons, and so now one of these two sons needs to carry on that line to receive that blessing. Again, if you recall, Isaac and Rebekah were told, though, through a prophecy when she was pregnant, that their younger son would rule over their older son. And it's important to note that this would have been unheard of culturally. That's not how it worked in this kind of society. Uh, at the time, the older son would have absolutely be assumed to be the one who would carry on this blessing, who would represent the family. In many ways, the oldest son was kind of viewed as the, the star child, the favorite child, the one who would uh, not only receive the lion's share of whatever inheritance there might be, but again, would also be the strong one to lead the family going forward. And in many ways, Esau, the older son, was absolutely the prime candidate to do so. And a few things that we know about Esau, even from the story that we just heard read. Esau was, he was strong. We see that he was a hunter. 
We see that he was stereotypically manly, uh, and in particular, he was hairy. Frankly, even though all of that physical stuff was true, he wasn't the brightest. Uh, if you know the story, he's pretty easily deceived. Um, in, previous, uh, in the previous chapters, in chapter 25, he's, um, he's deceived out of his inheritance uh, because he was impulsive and kind of a brute. That's a whole different story. But even though that was the case, even though he wasn't the brightest, he exuded the kind of strength that you'd like to see in a son who would lead the family. And as a result, he would have likely very much so been someone who could bring honor to the family through that strength. And so for Isaac, his father, Esau would have been the ideal candidate, the ideal son to pass this blessing on to. But then you had Jacob, Jacob was a very different child. In fact, in many ways, he was kind of the exact opposite of his brother Esau. Uh, over the course of the story of Jacob, you'll, you'll notice that he's kind of crafty. He's kind of sneaky. Uh, back in chapter 25, uh, we're told that the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man uh, of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. In other words... Isaac loved Esau because he was a manly man. Rebekah loved Jacob because he was kind of a mama's boy who liked homemaking as opposed to going out hunting. Plus, in chapter 27 of here in our, in our passage, we're told that Jacob was hairless and smooth. In other ways, he just was not this manly man. And this would have been anything but the ideal candidate for Isaac. But if Jacob could in some way receive this blessing, that would open up for him an opportunity to make his name great, even though at this point, nobody really thinks much of him or his name. Now, all that backstory said, right, this blessing is obviously very central to the story. So what exactly is this blessing that we're seeing described in our passage? Uh, we need to address the nature of it since we tend to have a different conception of blessing than what we see here in our passage. Biblical blessing, uh, one biblical commentator uh, explained the nature of the blessing this way. I mean, let me just read this to you. That the blessing that Isaac bestows on Jacob, whom he mistakes for Esau, as we saw in the story, grants him fertility of the ground, dominion over nations, including those descended from siblings, and a boomerang effect for curses and blessing. The commentator goes on adding that patriarchal blessings were not merely a father's wishes for his son, they were unalterable. In other words, words of blessing, a blessing that elevated and exalted the recipient of that blessing, these blessings were binding and they could not be taken back. It, at the time, it would have been much like a, a binding contract. Once they were spoken, there was power in the fact that they had been spoken. And so as a result, the commentator goes on to say that the family blessing was mediated by God through the faith of the patriarch. In other words, we discussed this last week. I don't have time to get into it, but you can go back and listen. God in his sovereignty chose to use these kinds of blessings to set forth the, um, uh, the plans and purposes that he had in store already. So God was going to use this blessing to move forward his plans of redemption throughout history. And Isaac knew that. He knew that giving his blessing once spoken was going to be binding. Now, that said, 
though we are very culturally removed from the book of Genesis, right? a lot of this feels kind of foreign to us, though we're culturally removed, to a degree, I think we absolutely understand the power of words that are spoken and the ways that often those words cannot be taken back. There's power once they are out there, especially words that are spoken by those who have power or influence over our lives. I mean, for better or worse, the words of those kinds of people can never be taken back. I mean, think about the people that have power or influence over your life, the kind of power that sets the entire trajectory of your life with just their words, people like our parents. I mean, we are all here children of someone, raised by someone. And for many, the words spoken by our parents or those that raised us stick with us in profound ways. You know, to hear a blessing or a curse from someone like our parents, particularly when we are young, can absolutely change you for your lifetime. As a parent, I know that I've certainly not always succeeded in this area of getting this right. Because much like my parents, and maybe many of yours or those who raised you, there are words that have been said, maybe some I remember, some I don't remember saying, that will shape my children. And the closest, those that are closest to us have that power. You know, my wife has that power in my life. Your closest friends have that power in your life. The people that you look up to, the people that you revere most have that power in your life. Their blessing, their affirmation, their validation, their confirmations are enough to set your entire life trajectory. And we might not understand all the cultural dynamics at play in this story, but you almost certainly understand what it means to long for the words of affirmation and blessing from those significant in your life. Now, that's the case now, and that was very much the case then. Jacob needed to hear the words of blessing from his father. Words that he likely spent a lifetime longing to hear. I mean, remember, he was not the favored child of his father. I mean, he was likely treated as a constant disappointment and maybe even embarrassing to his father. He never lives up to his brother's strength, always lagged behind his brother. In fact, back in Genesis 25, when they're born at the birth of Esau and Jacob, we're told that, that uh, when Esau comes out, Jacob is clinging to Esau's heel which is one of the reasons why he's named Jacob, because that meant to follow. He has lived in his brother's shadow his entire life, desperately wanting to be accepted and affirmed by his father. And so for Jacob and Rebecca, getting Isaac to speak these words of blessing meant doing whatever was necessary, even if receiving those words meant going the route of deception, which is important for us to note that there is a deception in our pursuits of this kind of blessing. Now, we read this in our passage, but the story goes on that Rebecca and Jacob, they devise this plan to trick Isaac into giving these words of blessing. 
Uh, and we are told in the first part of the chapter that uh, Isaac, he was going blind. And so while Esau, the older brother, was out uh, hunting, Rebekah tells Jacob to bring his father some game, some meat, uh, and to tell his father that he was Esau and that he ought to now give the blessing. Jacob, of course, he rightly responds and says, basically, Mom, uh, he's going to know that I'm not Esau, especially when he touches me. I'm too smooth. Esau's hairy. And if my father thinks that I am mocking him or taking advantage of him, he might curse me, not bless me. And so Rebecca, his mother's response is, don't worry about the curse. If a curse comes, I will take that curse upon myself. And so Jacob, reluctantly, he puts on Esau's clothes so that he smelled like his brother. He wears the skin of a goat so that he feels like Esau. And he brings that meat to his blind father, who is expecting Esau to be coming back with that meat. And in the end, again, though Jacob was a little hesitant about all of this working at first, the deception actually works. And he ends up receiving the blessing from his father. And I want to take a look at the words that are spoken now uh, by uh, Isaac to Jacob. And I want you to imagine, right, given everything I just said about Isaac and this longing that he very much had, given all of that, I want you to imagine this scene. Look at verse 26. Let's walk through this. Imagine how this would have felt for Isaac. I'm sorry, for Jacob. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. Let me pause there for a minute. The one from whom Jacob has longed to receive affection is telling him, Come here and let me kiss you, my son. Imagine that. Verse 27, When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. We pause there again. The one from whom Jacob desperately wanted delight and pride is now here being delighted in by the very scent that he's exuding. Verse 28 goes on. My, may God give your heavens due and your earth richness, richness an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who cursed you be cursed, and those who blessed you be blessed again. Imagine it. The one from whom Jacob has desperately desired affirmation and blessing is now blessing him. He has longed his entire life for this moment. Even though it is a delusional experience rooted in lies, this is the closest thing that Jacob will ever get to experiencing this kind of love and affection from his father. And you know what? All it took was a deceptive mask for him to wear to receive this blessing. All it took to receive this affirmation is to cover himself up, to hide his true self I mean, Jacob is not loved. The mask is loved. Jacob is not affirmed. The performance is affirmed. And again, while we might not understand all the cultural dynamics here, we all get what that's like. Every single one of us here knows what it's like 
to put on a mask, to put on a performance in order to receive some kind of validation, some kind of love, some kind of affection from those that we think highly of us. Many of us here, we live inside masks and performances every day because we think it's the only way that we're going to be loved and accepted. I mean, some of us here, we live behind a mask of vibrato about our great accomplishments, but behind that vibrato, we never feel like we've ever done enough. I mean, some of us here, we live behind masks of self-righteousness and moral superiority, but behind that mask, we know our flaws, our sins, and our failures. Some of us here, we live behind a mask of intelligence, but behind that mask, we feel like a fraud and incompetent. Some of us here, we, we live behind a mask of machismo or toughness, but behind the mask, we are scared and insecure. Some of us here, we live behind a mask of beauty, but behind the mask, you feel ugly. And we wear that mask because it gets us what we want. It, it produces like it produced for Jacob. It gets us affirmation. It gets us validation. It gets us that blessing. But in the end, we know it's false because we know that if people really saw me and really knew me, we would be like Jacob without the mask. There wouldn't be blessing. Instead, there would be rejection and curses upon us. And often, we'd much rather be accepted in deceptions than rejected in truth. And I find this remarkably relevant for many of us today because we live in this cultural moment right now where there's constant encouragement for us to live our truth, to be fully you and to live without a mask. And you might think that that's in line with what I'm talking about here. But what's interesting is that in our current moment that cares so much about us living our truth, that has not become a liberating pursuit, but it's become nothing more than another mask. Here's why. While at one time, there may have been an obsession about being accepted by those that are closest to us, our modern cultural moment deeply impacted by social media, has now left us in an environment where we now feel beholden to the validation, not of people that are closest to us, but everyone that we put ourselves out into the world before. The accumulation of likes and retweets becomes a digital way to receive validation. And I will curate an online version of myself that is most likely to be accepted. And in the end, I will claim that it's just me living my truth, being me. But ironically, it brings the validation and the blessing from those who told me that I was supposed to live my life that way. But their opinions are fickle and ever-changing because if you decide one day you want to live another truth that misaligns with their truth, they will gladly greet you with rejection. All of this is just another mask. We are all constantly wearing masks. And whether you want to admit it or not, we are all Jacobs. And we will remain Jacobs until we realize the true blessing that we seek, that true affirmation, that true love cannot come from flawed and selfish people who themselves are wearing masks. But instead, 
that blessing must come from someone who sees behind the mask and blesses us anyway. Which leads me now to this final point, the reception of blessing. Uh, The immediate uh, consequences of this story, of Jacob's deceptions, is what you might assume. So Esau, he returns uh, from hunting. Uh, He comes back to receive his blessing, but upon his return, both Isaac and Esau discover that the deception uh, has occurred, and they are absolutely beside themselves as a result of this discovery. In verse 33, it tells us that Isaac trembled violently when he heard about this deception. Verse 34 says that Esau, he burst out uh, with a loud and bitter cry when he realized what happened. And then Esau proceeds to beg his father to give him some kind of blessing, only to hear Isaac say, your brother came and deceitfully took your blessing. And then the ultimate consequence here that breaks up the family is verse 41. It says that Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And so to avoid being killed by his furious brother, Jacob flees. This deception completely upends this family. Now I'll be straight with you. It's going to be several chapters uh, and several weeks before we start to see any redemptive aspect of this story. For now... There is almost nothing redemptive in this part of the narrative, unless, of course, we pan back a bit and we see what this story of inheritance is, this story of blessing, this story of firstborn sons is pointing us toward. I mean, as you might expect, if you've been around, this entire narrative, like all biblical narratives, is pointing us to a single person, Jesus Christ. But the ways that this story points us to him to me, is nothing short of stunning. And I want you to follow me for a little bit because there's a whole New Testament narrative and theme that runs back to this narrative here. One of the most stunning passages of uh, describing Jesus is found in Colossians 1, which I have there if you guys want to throw this up. There's a couple of of passages I want to put in front of us. Colossians 1, verse 15, says this, that the Son, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, Here's a key phrase, the firstborn over all creation. And then fast forward, uh, verse 18 says, and he is the head of the church, head of the body, the church. Now, just quickly, give you context for this. Some have read this passage and have wrongly uh, taken this passage to mean that Jesus is uh, the firstborn of creation, meaning that he's not eternal or that he's a created being. And that, of course, would be uh, a contradiction of the rest of scripture. So then what, is exa- what exactly is Paul describing here? Well, he's hearkening back to narratives like the one that we're seeing in Genesis. Jesus is the one who received the full and complete blessing that we'd expect to be given to the firstborn. It's a full blessing. And on top of that, if you remember back in Matthew 3 at Jesus' baptism, do you remember what the Father says about Jesus at the baptism? The Father says of the Son, This is my son whom I love. In him, I am well pleased. Do you hear those words? I mean, those are words of blessing from a father to a son. And so what we have in front of us right now is first, Jesus Christ is the son, 
the one who possesses all the treasures and inheritances of heaven as this firstborn, but also he is the son on whom all blessings and affirmation and love are given. The father delights in, cherishes in, and is pleased with the son, Jesus Christ. Okay, now, with all that in mind, look at Hebrews 12, the second passage that we have something, uh, that we have there. Spectacular. Verse 22 says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Catch this here. To the church of the firstborn. What does that mean? What is the church of the firstborn? Well, it goes on to say that this church is those whose names are written in heaven. When Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus is the head of the body of the church and that this church is the church of the firstborn, that means that all of those who are in Christ, like Jesus, receive the very things that Jesus has received, the very blessings and affirmations and inheritance and treasures of heaven are given to this church of the firstborn, the church whose head is Jesus, that true and faithful firstborn, the validation and the affirmations, the love that is given to Jesus as our head is ours as well. Jesus is our older brother through whom all blessings flow. And on top of that, do you remember when um, Jacob was worried about the curses that might come if his father finds out? That there's curses that were to come upon him uh, if he attempts to receive a blessing that was not rightly his. And Rebecca uh, responds by saying, don't worry about those curses. If those curses come, let them be upon myself. Well, Galatians 3 connects an interesting point says this. Again, let me just read this to you. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. In other words, for those who are in Jesus, the Son of God, the one on whom all blessings rest, our older brother on the cross takes all those curses upon himself and in exchange gives us those blessings, the validations, the affirmations, the love that we have searched for elsewhere. And most importantly, hear me, my friends, this blessing is not given to the person with the mask. This blessing is not given to the performance. This blessing is given to the person behind the mask. The Jacob longing for validation and love, never feeling good enough. God in Christ says, I see you. I know you. I love you. And so my question would be, friends, if we really believe that, if we really believe that God sees behind the mask, he sees all of our imperfections, all of our failures, all the different ways that we try to validate ourselves or the people that we long to have uh, validation from, if, if we really believe that he sees past all of that and he still says, I love you and I desire to bless you, how might that change the way that we live our lives? What might change in our lives if we really believed that's true? I think for many of us, we would find a renewed sense of purpose, a renewed sense of what it means to be truly loved, and maybe, just maybe, would give us the confidence to be able to lay down that mask and, in, and instead of being affirmed by others to find our affirmations and our affections 
in the one who loves us, loves us enough to step into this world, to die on the cross for our sins, all those imperfections, and of course also raised to life that we might have hope to one day experience the same. My call to all of us would be to find rest in Jesus and experience that blessing that we've longed for and searched for in so many other places. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that um, it is true that you see us in ways that no one else does. Frankly, even in ways that we often don't want to see ourselves. You see behind our masks and our performances and our deceptions. You see us when we would rather be accepted as a result of deception as opposed to being rejected as a result of truth. And you see the ways that that can so easily lead us uh, away from you, longing for uh, that which can only be found in you. And so, Lord, in that state, we come with great humility. We come with a deep desire to drop that mask and to be known And Lord, we thank you that we do not have to worry about your curses or your rejection when we do that. But instead, as we do that, we experience the grace and love and compassion of the true firstborn Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Help us look upon him, find confidence in him, find rest in him, and as a result, lay down all of our striving and our deceptions. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.